I invite you this morning, if you have a Bible, to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, to the 8th chapter, Luke chapter 8. If you've been with us uh, the last several weeks, we have been in the lectionary text from the book of Colossians, and we finished that last week. In a couple of months, on October the 1st, uh, we are working on something I'm super excited about, but I'm not going to tell you about for about three weeks. <laughs> but I just want you to be excited. We're going to do something in October, beginning October together, and I just am super pumped about it. But in August and September, these next eight Sundays, um, we're in what's called year C in the lectionary. It goes in a three-year cycle. And in year C, almost all the gospel texts come from the gospel of Luke. And in particular, in this part of what's called common time, several of those texts come from the parables. And so we've put some of those together. And so over the next eight weeks, we're going to think about, uh, can you hear me yet? Um, about having the ears to hear. Uh, and to take a look in particular at, at eight different parables from the Gospel of Luke. And so this morning we begin with really one of the first and perhaps the parable that kicks off all these parables in Luke uh, in chapter 8, beginning at verse 4. And so if you have your Bible open if you, and you're with us and able, if you'd stand with me in honor of the Lord's word this morning as we look at Luke 8, verses 4 through 15. When a great crowd was gathered and people were coming to Jesus from one city after another, he spoke to them in a parable. A farmer went out to scatter his seed. As he was scattering it, some fell on the path where it was crushed and the birds in the sky came and ate it. Other seed fell on rock. As it grew, it dried up because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorny plants. The thorns grew with the plants and, and choked them. Still other seed landed on good soil. And when it grew, it produced 100 times more grain than was scattered. As he said this, he called out, everyone who has ears should pay attention. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, you have been given the mysteries of God's kingdom, but these mysteries come to everyone else in parables so that when they see, they can't see, and when they hear, they can't understand. The parable means this. The seed is God's word. The seed on the path are those who hear, but then the devil comes and steals the word from their hearts so that they won't believe and be saved. The seed on the rock are those who receive the word joyfully when they hear it, but they have no root. They Believe for a while, but fall away when they are tempted. As for the seed that fell among thorny plants, these are the ones who, as they go about their lives, are choked by the concerns, riches, and pleasures of life, and their fruit never matures. The seed that fell on good soil are those who hear the word and commit themselves to it with a good and upright heart, and through their resolve, they bear fruit. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So without question, um, my guess is even people who are relatively unfamiliar with church or with the scripture um, probably would recognize a parable like this one. And oftentimes I would think people often associate parables with Jesus as a unique form of his own teaching. And of the four Gospels, although the Gospels all contain parables, certainly Luke is the one that kind of packs his Gospel full of 
all sorts of amazing parables, and we'll look at some of those together. On the one hand, parables are important to us because we are, we are storied people. And it shouldn't surprise us that then these kinds of stories resonate with us. I, I am excited about a new uh, school year starting across the street, and I'm, I'm getting ready to teach my intro to theology class again. And I, I've said this to you before, but I say to students every semester, listen, this semester we're going to, we're going to think about this story of God. We're going to think about what people who call themselves Christians believe to be most true about the world. And, and so we'll think about where, where did this all start and where is this all going and what does it mean to be human and what does God expect from us? Like, but all of that's rooted in a kind of storied way of understanding the world. And I will say to them, listen, if by the end of the semester I haven't convinced you that this story is beautiful and true and one that you would want to live into, Oh, I'm going to be hurt a little bit and sad, but it's okay. But here's the deal. If you choose that this story is not the story you want to live into, at least be honest with the fact that you've chosen some other story. Somebody else's story about where we came from, where we're going, what it means to be human, and what we should do with these days that we have. And so it shouldn't surprise us, given that we are so storied in the ways that we think about the world, that the parables, stories resonate with us. But parables are also fascinating because on the one hand, in the kind of strange language in the middle of the text Jesus uses about, I, I speak, but they don't hear, and I tell, but they don't really understand. It's probably trying to get at what is really fascinating about parables themselves. On the one hand, they're really easy. In fact, I've been looking forward to these eight weeks, but at the same time, between you and me, don't tell anybody, the parables are kind of hard to preach because it's kind of like, if you didn't get it while we read it, I can't help you, right? Like, it's so straightforward in some sense. I should have read the text and said, let's pray and go home. And some of you would have said amen. But, uh, but on the one hand, they're, they're really kind of straightforward and simple, especially in this text about the different kinds of soils. But on the other hand, they're really rich and complex. And there's a lot of different ways and different aspects of the text that we can get into. And it dawned on me as I was working on this and some of the other texts to come, I have a lot of books on the parables. There's been a lot of ink spilled over 2,000 years trying to get at the depth of all that is revealed about the kingdom of God through these parables. And my guess is if the Lord tarries, there will be a lot more ink spilled as we deal with these. And one of the ways, as we'll see in the parables, that some of that layered truth of the parables is revealed is in some ways the way we think about the parable or even the way we name the parable sometimes reveals what we think the parable is about. This will be especially true in a few weeks we get to a very familiar parable that we often call the parable of the prodigal son, but I, I will probably argue with you, it's, it is about the prodigal son, but it's really also the parable of the older brother. And in this text today, I'm not sure which translation started this. I kind of think the NIV is guilty. But many of our translations now add headlines to certain sections of Scripture that, that aren't there in the manuscripts, but we've added them in to make it easier to kind of find sections you're looking for in the Scripture. The Common English Bible t 
titles this section the parable of the soils. But I want to argue with you today that that's not bad, but we could, we could probably name it two or three other things as well. And as we think about the different ways we could name this parable, some of the layers of truth are revealed. So let me, let me start with this one. Perhaps we could call this parable the parable of the transforming seed. The parable of the transforming seed. When the disciples wonder what in the world was this story about, Jesus begins in verse 11 by saying, the parable means this, the seed is God's word. The seed is God's word. Now, oftentimes when we use that kind of language, the language of God's word, we think about the Bible itself, which is not inappropriate. It is God's word, in a sense. But I'm not convinced that when Jesus tells this parable, that while he's speaking scripture, he's referring to scripture. If you followed that. I had a friend, or have a friend, pastor friend, um, who thinks this parable is about how we should go into the world and speak scripture all the time. And he's actually a really fascinating person with an unbelievable memory. He has vast swaths of the scripture memorized. And oftentimes when he's talking to you, he'll just break into Romans, right? And you're like, all right, are we to the end of the chapter yet? But I'm like, he, he can just repeat the whole thing. And I remember being at lunch with him one time and we got to know the waitress and and he just started speaking like Corinthians to her. And I couldn't tell if she was blessed or annoyed. I just wanted to order a Reuben and get on with it. But, like, but his sense is that, that he needs to look for opportunities to proclaim, to speak God's word, meaning the scripture, into the world. And I don't know that there's anything wrong with that. But I don't think that's what Jesus means here. That the seed is God's word, the speaking of a new reality. I, in fact, I think what Jesus is connecting this story to is actually the creation. Where in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was nothing. It was formless and void. But then God spoke, and there was light, and spoke, and there was sea, spoke, and there was land, spoke, and there was humankind. That God speaks creation into existence. And so God's word is that divine action that brings newness and transformation in the world. And so that Jesus is coming to proclaim the kingdom, but the crazy thing is this kingdom doesn't yet quite exist, but he is speaking this new reality of the kingdom into existence. I kind of lost you there, so let me illustrate this a little bit. So I, I got to officiate a wedding yesterday. Uh, Jared and Abby got married. The whole Stensgard clan is gone today. Uh, Pastor Brent and Pastor Diane were over there too. Um, I'm the spiritual one who drove to get back. Um, but, but I got to officiate. It was really fun to officiate a wedding. I, I've been officiating a lot of funerals lately, and it was fun to be on more of the front end of things to yesterday. I was getting to officiate this wedding, and, and I just love them. Wonderful couple. But not to sound weird about this, but I got to kind of be a co-creator with God yesterday. And what I mean by that is this. When they walked into that church, they were just Jared and Abby. But then they got all dressed up, invited all their friends, stood up in front of me. I had my robe on to make it really official. And I spoke some words over them. Husband and wife. Covenant. Family, home, do you take her, do you take him, right? Like, let's exchange some rings. 
I got to say, I got to speak a new reality into the world. Now, I know you think I'm being silly here, but let me tell you, nothing in the world changed yesterday. Like the planets didn't realign. We sang some goofy songs about love and stars falling, but they didn't really fall. It was just the speaking of a new reality. And here's the deal. Maybe they woke up and realized it today. They're kind of stuck in a whole new reality now. That was just simply spoken over them. And if, for some reason, I don't think they would do this, but if they kind of wanted out of it, it's going to take a lot because I spoke some reality into their lives and even signed some reality into their lives. Are you following me? There's a whole new family that exists today. You're welcome. Maybe we understand this more. Some of you, if, if we pass the microphone around today, you could talk about People who spoke some things into your life. I'm fascinated when I talk to students who are pursuing a call to ministry, how often they will say, somebody at church said to me, I sense that God is calling you. That was true for my dad's life. Somebody spoke that into his existence. For me, I had a 10th grade math teacher who spoke some truth into me that that brought flourishing at a time when I needed it. You, you could talk about those people who spoke in newness, goodness, and now we could also talk about people who spoke in destruction and damage. But I'm convinced that this is about a word that is spoken that creates a whole new reality called the kingdom of God. Now I've got to do some work with you on Luke here. So we've talked about this before, but I'm not sure you were paying attention. In order to read Luke, you have to understand one, I think, one really key story in the Gospel of Luke. It's in Luke chapter 4. In fact, I would argue it's kind of the, the glasses through which you should read the rest of Luke. It's unique to Luke. In Luke, Jesus has been out, and it's clear that in his early ministry in Galilee, the Spirit of the Lord is upon him. People are being blessed and healed, and he's teaching with authority. But then he takes a break and goes home. And when he comes to Nazareth, he goes to the synagogue, as was his custom on the Sabbath. And when he gets there, it's as though the people are so excited. Oh, we've heard you're doing such good things, Jesus. Our hometown kid. We're working on the water tower. We're going to have home of Jesus of Nazareth up on the water tower. Very excited. Why don't you read the text today? So he's given the text. He unrolls the scroll of Isaiah. And he goes to Isaiah 61 which says essentially this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news, to proclaim release to the captive, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free. And here's the key line, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now we miss some of the significance of that, but you could argue Jesus picked what may be one of, if not the most politically charged text from the Old Testament to read that day in the synagogue. It is how Jesus just dropped the bomb right there in the synagogue. And as he reads it, the people know that that text is actually rooted in two or three things. Buckle up here, hang on. There's lots of economic codes in ancient Israel, codes like tithing, get familiar with it. Um, Sabbath, keeping of sabbatical years, uh, gleaning, not, not harvesting to the edges of your field. But in Leviticus 25, there's a really important law called Jubilee, where after we've had seven sabbatical years, we've had 49, but on the 50th year, we blow the jubils, the trumpets, 
That's why it's called Jubilee. We blow the trumpets. And, and the illustration I always use is, do you remember when you were a kid and you had an Etch-A-Sketch and you'd make a mess, but then you could kind of shake and start over? Jubilee is like a cultural do-over. On the 50th year, all the debts are canceled. All the prisoners are released. It's though, as though everything that's happened, we're going to shake the Etch-A-Sketch, give everybody their stuff back, and now we get to do-over. Now, as we've talked about in the past, Israel was pretty good about tithing and Sabbath and sabbatical and gleaning. As far as we know, eh, not so much on Jubilee, which you don't have to be a brain surgeon to figure this out. If you're owed a bunch of debts, it's really hard to forgive those. If you've acquired a bunch of other people's lands, eh, it's really hard to give that back. And so the prophets understand that part of the reason they went into exile is because they never shook the Etch-A-Sketch. They never lived into the Jubilee. But here's how merciful God is. When they went into exile in Babylon, God didn't leave them there, but in a sense, he brought them out. And Isaiah, in Isaiah 61, then the prophet says, God has done what we wouldn't do to other people. God has given us a Jubilee. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, release the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free. This is the year of the Lord's favor. <laughs> Jubilee. Shake the answer sketch. Are you with me? Now, fast forward, first century, people, again, captive, frustrated by Roman captivity, waiting for God's anointed to come and deliver them. Jesus reads this politically charged passage about how the Spirit of the Lord is upon him and anointed him to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he sits down and people are like, you can't just sit down. And then he says the wildest thing. Today, these words are fulfilled in your hearing. They love that. <laughs> so excited. Yes. Are you ready for a revolution? Whoop, whoop. A little Kirk Franklin there for you. Are you ready for a revolution, Ashley? Like, are you ready for the revolution? Here we go. And what's most exciting is the revolution is going to be led by our hometown kid. We are on the front row of the revolution. Jesus quickly says three things. Surely you'll quote this proverb, doctor, cure yourself, which is weird. But I, the best I can do is kind of like saying, some of you who are nurses or doctors in this room, we could say to you, listen, you go all day and take care of other people. How much more should you come home and take care of us? Sophie's been working at St. Saint, uh, Saint Al's this summer. And she goes and takes care of other people, and then she doesn't come home and take care of us. Um, <laughs> Sophie, cure yourself. Like, right, like that's, you should take care of us. But then Jesus says two things. There were, lots of there were lots of widows in the time of Elisha. But the only one God took care of was this widow in Zarephath and Sidon. And there were lots of lepers in the time of Elisha, but the only one that was cured was Naaman the Syrian. This really good sermon went really bad in a hurry. And now rather than being excited and ready to paint him on the water tower, they're ready to throw him off of it. They're ready to throw him off a cliff. Now, why did it go bad? I would argue it went bad because he's saying to them, listen, it is the time where God is going to do a do-over. And I've come to speak that kingdom into you. You are not forgotten. You are remembered. You are not abandoned. You are a child of God. You are not broken. You are forgiven. You are not destroyed. You are healed. Like he's speaking this new reality, but here's the deal. 
you want that for you, but you don't want that for everybody else. And so you have to extend this jubilee to others if you want it extended to you. Are, are you with me? And so this powerful word for Luke is, is this powerful word that says you can be totally transformed. God has come to shake the etch-a-sketch, not just of your life, but of the whole creation. And for Luke, this jubilee then will extend into Acts. Christ has come to not only forgive us and give us a new opportunity to start over with God, but he's come to tear down those walls that we have worked so long to build between each other. There's now no longer Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. We're all one in Christ Jesus. It is the message of liberation. And that is the seed that goes out into the world. That is the seed of God's word that Jesus proclaims that brings new reality. Are you with me? And now here's what it does. He says when it finds good soil, it produces a hundredfold. Most commentators say that's a part we skip because we're, we're not very agrarian. In, in the first century world, most farmers were peasants and they were renting somebody else's field. They were tenant farmers. And they would have to do two things. They would have to pay somebody back for the field they were borrowing and they would have to borrow money to pay for seed. And then when they planted their seed, they would hope somewhere in the neighborhood of probably five to tenfold Fivefold would mean you would get to pay off the lease and probably pay off the debt that keeps accruing interest and probably have enough money to kind of skate by till the next year. Tenfold, you could do all that stuff and, you know, buy Hanukkah presents or whatever. Like, you could, you could do more. Go on a vacation. Three days away. But a hundredfold, hundredfold, we're making it rain. Cha-ching, cha-ching. We're buying the land, right? We're not renting anymore. We're buying that field. We're, we're not having to borrow money for seed. We now have money we can keep, and we've got 10 years of seed that we can now purchase. It changes everything. You're not excited about this, but this parable is about a word that goes out into the world that changes not only your life and mine, but it changes everything. It is the parable of the transformative seed. But it's also the parable of the soils, as the common English Bible calls it. And this is important. We need to hear and be introspective. What kind of soil are we? Are we the hard soil that really the root never digs in? Are we the shallow soil that springs up quickly but dies? Are we, are we the soil that has got so much planted around it, that it just gets choked out every time it tries to grow? Or are we the good soil that flourishes? I don't know that, the, a couple of things there. I, I don't know that that's fixed. I don't know that we could take like a soil aptitude test. You know, it comes back and says, you're an achiever, a maximizer, ideation, and thorny soil, right? Like, I, Put that on your door. Um, I think it invites us to reflect on who we are. And I would say this is really important. Sometimes when we think about that hard soil, and perhaps this is partly true, we tend to think of people, you know, really secular who just don't want to hear anything about God. I would 
caution us that in the Gospel of Luke, the good soil tends to be people we did not expect it to be. I will say, if I were to share people's lives who I got to speak the word of God into and saw transformation, the two that I talk about most often and were the most radical transformations, one was the lead singer in a rock band who I honestly do not think he could have found Genesis if he had to. And a guy walked up to me at church and said, I'm an agnostic, I don't believe any of this stuff. He used a different word than that. They became unbelievably good soil when the word of God was spoken into them. I think it's really important for us to recognize so often the hard soil, especially when Jesus encounters, are actually religious, not secular. And there are people who are so convinced they already know how God operates in the world that there's no space for newness in their life. And that means they tend to be protectors and critical and hard to the new things that God wants to do in their life. But I would say the parable of the soils also says to us, our responsibility is to participate with God in being the instrument of the word in the world, but the results are up to God. And it shouldn't surprise us nor discourage us if we feel like that word is not received. It shouldn't surprise us nor discourage us if we feel like that word gets received quickly, but then uh, it shouldn't surprise us nor discourage us if we see that word gets choked out by other stuff. Our call is to be participant with God. And that's why I, if I were asked to title this parable, those are good, but probably I would title this parable the parable of the indiscriminate farmer. As we'll see in a few weeks, there are some parables where you scratch your head and kind of, you think you know who God is in the parable, but then you have to go, does God really act like that? Are we sure that's God? Maybe that's somebody else. This one is not a mystery. It's God. The indiscriminate farmer is God who comes and indiscriminately sows the word of God, the transforming grace and mercy of God in the world. We Wesleyan types call this pervenient grace. God is so indiscriminate. He doesn't pick who gets it and who doesn't. He just, grace everywhere. Word of God everywhere. There's an indiscriminateness to God's grace. And, and at some level, this, I think, is expected in the text. Scholars say that unlike most farming practices today in the first century, people would scatter seed and then they would till the soil and, and allow the seed to get worked into the soil. But at other places... Other ways, this text sounds so unstrategic on God's part. It's interesting to me that we didn't read it, but if you go back to the beginning of chapter 8, the first three verses that sets up this parable actually tells about the 12 disciples following Jesus, but it also mentions Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Susanna who have become disciples in their own way and have become followers and supporters of the mission of Jesus. In other words, the text seems to very open with Luke's shock at who has joined this mission. 
The indiscriminate grace of God that keeps finding tax collectors and sinners, that keeps finding unexpected people who come and become the good soil in which the seed takes root. There's one last thing I would draw your attention to, and that's the last verse of this passage, verse 15. The Common English Bible says this, The seed that fell on good soil are those who hear the word and commit themselves to it with a good and upright heart. In this interesting sentence, Through their resolve, they bear fruit. Through their resolve, they bear fruit. It's fascinating to biblical scholars that when Jesus describes what good soil is like, he uses a word that's really important to the early church, patience, perseverance. The good soil is patient with the seed, perseveres with the work that God is doing in their life. The NIV translates it this way, who by persevering produce a crop. The NRSV says, who bear fruit with patient endurance. I love Eugene Peterson. He puts it this way in the message. These are the good hearts who seize the word and hold on no matter what. Sticking with it until there's a harvest. And so what is the kingdom of God like? It is like an indiscriminate farmer who keeps sowing the action and the word of transformation. Who keeps looking at you and hearing the lies you tell about yourself and speaking truth and new reality to you. Keeps whispering to people who think they are nothing but sinners that they are children of God. Who know themselves only as enemy that they are friends of God. Those who only experience marginalization and God speaks, you are family. Come on in. And indiscriminately does that. And is looking for people who will not only receive that, but extend that and participate in the work of the indiscriminate farmer in the world and not give up. And so, brothers and sisters, if I know for some of you, oh, you have loved ones and people in your life who your heart breaks for. You want the new reality of God's word to find its root deep in their heart. I think the word from the parable today is this. Be patient. Be persistent. Don't be obnoxious. But continue to indiscriminately proclaim how God views them and loves them and knows them. And who knows, maybe one day by his grace, pretty hard places may turn into pretty fertile ground. And it shouldn't surprise us that as a community, then we find ourselves kind of going all over the place. That, this, this parable really helped me this week, because sometimes as a leader, I feel kind of scattered, and some of that's true. But I feel like there are so many amazing open doors that God keeps opening up for us as a congregation. And I always feel like, man, we, we need to do a good, like, internet sociological study of this, right? I kind of analyze our resources, and some of that's, that's probably good, and I don't want to burn everybody out. 
But it shouldn't surprise us that as God's people, we find ourselves kind of going here and there and saying we're bringing God's word of transformation and sometimes that's received with gladness and sometimes we go, well, okay, we'll try another one. But we are drawn to a table today that overflows with the indiscriminate grace of God that changes us and invites us then to become what we eat today to become a reflection of the indiscriminate, gracious farmer sowing the seed of the kingdom wherever we go. God, help us today. We thank you um, that you have spoken a new reality over us. And today, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news. Captives are no longer captives. Those who've stumbled in darkness now can see. Those who've carried all their debts, they have all been canceled. It is the year of the Lord's favor. May we receive that. May we know it. May we be good soil that allows an abundant harvest of goodness and mercy and love to flourish in our hearts and lives. And may we participate in the work of the indiscriminate farmer. So make us what we eat today. Make us a reflection of unconditional, unending, sacrificial love for the sake of the world. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray this. Amen. Amen. Some folks are going to come and help us serve this morning. Um, Two things. As the trays go by, uh, if you would hang on to the elements, we'll take this together. If you're a guest with us today, there is no membership or any other requirement for participating in this meal other than knowing that you need the grace of God and you want to receive the indiscriminate farmer's love in your life today. If you don't want to participate, no one will think less of that. Just pass the tray on to the next person. If you need help today, sometimes those elements are kind of small. We have some things to help you with accessibility to that. And if you, if that would be helpful to you today, if you would just slip up your hand, we have some folks who are going to make their way to you and help you uh, get that as well. Uh, But may God bless us as we gather around his table together this morning. Let's sing together as we're served. I'll live
salvation's road with fear and Christ is formed in me. in front of you. Let me pray a prayer of blessing. Almighty God, we hold in our hands very common things, bread and cup. We ask for your presence, your spirit to come and make them today an uncommon means of grace to us.
May we receive them in remembrance of the indiscriminate grace of the transforming farmer who has spoken new life into us. And may we become what we eat today. May we become reflections of that grace, instruments of that word into the lives of others. Make us the body of Christ. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread. He raised it. He gave thanks and he broke it. So this is my body which is broken for you. Let us take and eat today in remembrance of him. When supper was over, he took the cup. He blessed it as well. And said, this is my blood poured out for you to preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Let us take and drink in remembrance of a love that will not let us go and is changing us through and through. May it be so, we pray today. May we be the body of Christ for the sake of the world. And God's people said, Amen. Would you stand with me? It's running out. 
after me with my life laid down I surrender now I give you everything your goodness is running after it's running after me oh we know your goodness is running after it's running after me your goodness is running after it's running after me with my life laid down and surrender now i give you everything your goodness is running after it's running after me been so so good yes with every breath that i am able oh i will sing of the goodness of god i will sing of the goodness of Thanks for being here this morning. If you've listened well, um, if we take this parable and do some introspection, we have to confess that sometimes I'm really good at being religious and not very good at being open to the new thing God wants to do in me. And man, I am such a good starter and not a great finisher. So much that God wants to do can get choked out by all the other dumb stuff in my life. And if I look out, wow. Can the word of God do what it's supposed to do? Mm. That's why this benediction's for us this morning. And now unto him, the indiscriminate farmer, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine including a hundredfold harvest. To him be glory in us, those he has loved and been patient with and now calls his church and in Christ Jesus, our Lord and our example, now and for all generations. And God's people said, amen. Go in his peace.